0: Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald podcast, where we say, love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James.
1: Hey, um, week two in our series on the greatest uh, Christmas verse in the whole Bible. So, before you get too comfortable there, stand up on your feet. And, and uh, we're going to show respect for God's Word. Uh, Paul told Timothy to give attention to the public reading of God's Word. So we stand, we show respect for God's Word. Here's the verse, um, Isaiah 9-6. Uh, now we're going to read it together, but here's, you've got to know when you're quoting a verse properly, you've got to give the address at the beginning and at the end. Because the address, you've got to know where the verse lives, right? Otherwise you can't find it yourself. So, um, re- Isaiah 9-6, we're going to say it at the beginning and the end. Lift up your voice, ready? Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called, and that's found. Thank you. Thank you. you, may be seated. Now you'll notice that the uh, phrase, uh, second phrase, and that we're just taking this a phrase at a time. we're going to be on this verse for a whole month. Uh, next phrase, "And the government shall be upon his shoulder." And some of you say shoulders, well it's sort of like that, shoulder as a picture of a capacity to bear weight. The government shall be upon his shoulder." Now, interesting, I've noticed this, and now probably you will too. A lot of people quote Isaiah 9:6, but they leave this out. They say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called. They just leave this part out. Now, this is not a throwaway phrase. In fact, as the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture through Isaiah, this is the ver- this is the phrase that was elaborated on. Look at the next verse, Isaiah chapter uh, 9 verse 7. Uh, he actually elaborates on this and says, of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we're going to spend the whole uh, message today on this concept. The government shall be, speaking of Christ, speaking of our Messiah, the government shall be upon his shoulder. We can't appreciate the good news until we spend some time on the bad news, so uh, let's start with this thought. Uh, What's wrong with human government? What's wrong with human government? Uh, um, Yeah, um, what's right with it? Um, Do you got a week? How much time do you have? Um, People would say a lot. I don't remember ever time in my life or ministry where there was so much negativity, so much cynicism, so much skepticism about human government, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but... um yeah, a lot of negativity. I was, of course, uh, doing some research for this message, and I found this little joke kind of, I don't know if you'll think it's funny, but I, I laughed when I heard about this a bus that was driving down a country road filled with politicians. The bus was filled with politicians, and something happened. The driver lost control. The bus flipped over, and, and uh, many of the, uh, I guess, the politicians were killed or something. And, and, and so here, here comes this farmer. He sees uh, these people lying there, and he starts, of course, oh, I've got to do something to help here. He starts to bury them. And, and uh, he's getting to the end of the process and, and the sheriff shows up and he says, hey, 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 what are you doing here? He says, were all these politicians dead? He said, well, he said, some of them said they weren't, but you know how politicians lie. <laughs> <laughs> there really is a very, very, very negative attitude in society about this. And of course, we always say there's two things you can't talk about, politics and religion. And I disagree with that completely, obviously. And, and, but one of the reasons why it's difficult to talk about is because people really aren't very good anymore at conversation. You know, point, counterpoint, here's what I think, here's what you think, listening to each other, and yielding to the truth, yielding to the point of logic people don't yield. They get all emotional, that's not what I think, and they get all kind of... So I'm gonna try as best as I can to be very factual, uh, extremely nonpartisan, and um, let's just try to answer what's wrong with human government. Here's three broad strokes. Uh, first of all, the system's broken. The system of government uh, that we uh, live under here uh, in America, and the same in many other democratic countries, the system itself is broken. And I don't mean like, um, like with my r- little red wagon I had when I was a kid. I don't mean like the handle's bent and one of the wheels is squeaky, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about broken like the handle's off, the wheels are off, it's upside down sinking in a swamp, and everyone's standing around going, I don't care about wagons. Okay? That's how broke it is. It's not like off by 5%. And uh, the system itself is broken. What are the first words of the Constitution, anybody? We what? We the people. And then it goes on to actually detail six purposes of the U.S. government. We the people, number one, to form a more perfect union. There was this sense uh, at the founding that somehow we could be more by giving up our individual agendas and being together than the states came and said, you know, maybe we can be more by being together than we could ever be separately. A more perfect union. Um, how's that working together thing going? And then uh, second, we the people in order to form a more perfect union to establish justice. The idea of justice, uh, God says that he has ordained the powers that be and that the purposes of government, according to Romans 13, one of the purposes of government is justice for the punishment of evildoers. And somewhere along the line, the psychologists got involved and we jettisoned our uh, uh, punitive judicial system. That's how it should work. If someone does something wrong, they're punished. But we stopped uh, seeing uh, wrongdoers as Uh, people to be punished, and we started seeing them as people. It's called moving from a punitive judicial system to a rehabilitative judicial system. Now we see wrongdoers as people who are sick who need help. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to do job creation and a lot of things that happen, but at the end of the day, uh, God's word says that justice is one of the responsibilities of government, and what was it in the news this week about this girl who was brutalized and raped and so on for how many months? It took eight years to get a trial. In in what sense is that just? And people do horrific things and, and justice waits and waits and waits. The Bible says that the ground itself is crying out for justice. Our government was formed to bring justice righteously to the people. How's that going? To form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to provide for the common defense. It was understood at the founding of our country. The Constitution said we will marshal our resources to make sure that we can defend ourselves. But the framers of the Constitution never had in mind that we would sail the seven seas enforcing our will upon freedom, uh, loving people in other places, and taking upon ourselves everything as our opportunity to demonstrate our sovereignty over the world. Where did that come from? And then to to secure the blessings of liberty. One of the purposes of the Constitution in forming and framing the government was that they would protect uh, the blessings of liberty. One of the blessings of liberty is is that we would live in a society where um, the next thing says to promote the general welfare. The idea that what is good for the whole is more important than what is good for the part. But we have the exact opposite today where the right of the individual trumps the right of the whole. And we make, de- we make decisions, we make laws, we set policies that protect an individual person with no thought to how that person's individuality is affecting everyone else. And uh, the final thing that the Constitution said was a purpose was to ensure domestic tranquility so that everyone would live together in peace. How's that going? The system itself is broken, all right? And and just to go back to a little bit of a uh, class that you could have taken in school. I gave my wife a test on this yesterday. I was very impressed with how well she did. How, can you name them, the three branches of government, all right? There is the uh, executive branch. That's the president who lives at the White House and uh, his whole thing. And, of course, he has certain powers and he uh, can veto laws that are made. He appoints, the, uh, he appoints the Supreme Court justices in terms of that branch, and he can veto laws that are made by the Congress. So that would be, there's the executive branch, and then back to the main chart, there is um, also the legislative branch, and this is the uh, Congress. And they're the ones that uh, make the laws. There's the, the ones that can censure the president if he oversteps his bounds. And and, uh, the legislative branch, it was Paul Harvey who said, um, I'll try this on you, Paul Harvey, the commentator. Um, What's the opposite of pro? And what's the opposite of progress? Right. So... Uh, more on, more on uh, that in a minute. But then you have the judicial branch. This is probably, uh, uh, you can see the arrows implying that they all had checks and balances between them. The judicial branches uh, ultimately ends up at the Supreme Court and all the justices divided up around the country and regions and so on, ultimately they can appeal to the Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court was never supposed to have the kind of unilateral authority that it has. It was supposed to only interpret the Constitution. It was never supposed to be forming and making law. And uh, one of the huge problems, of course, with uh, the system, the way that it works is, take for example, Proposition, Proposition 8 in California. 52% 52% of the people who live in California voted that a marriage was to be between a man and a woman. It's not to be between a man and an animal. It's not be between a man and two women. It's not be between a man and a man. Uh, that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. They voted for that, 52%, until the courts in California last August overruled that. Of course, that's probably headed now all the way to the Supreme Court, but we live in a country where the will of the people is going to be completely disregarded and uh, very possibly and uh, the courts are not supposed to be able to overrule uh, the will of the people but you decide for yourself if you think uh, that happens and uh, then we got the two-party system this is part of it. how do you think that two-party system's going you got the democrats and the republicans and what's the one thing that they're doing all the time They're fighting all the time, all the time, back and forth, fighting between them. The Democratic Party historically started in the South. They were interestingly, uh, though they are not today, they began as a pro-slavery group of people and they were very pro-government. In the North were the Republicans. They were anti-slavery and uh, very pro-business. Um, this you, you need to know, you attend a church that isn't Democratic or Republican. I don't know what you are. I don't care what you are, and I'm not going to tell you what I am, and I'm certainly not one thing. I honestly see, um, I appreciate the pro-life stance in the Republican Party for the most part. I appreciate uh, their desire for less government but I also see uh, and have spent a lot of time with pastors in the inner city and I've come to understand, for example, the injustice of our economic system. Do you know how your children's education is paid for? It's paid for as a multiple of your income and your tax base, and do you know why the educational systems are so pathetic in the inner city? Because it's paid for by a multiple of their tax base. That would seem, seem to be something that the Republicans could care less about and it is massively unjust, all right? And, and we're so harsh in our uh, judgment of people who, more than we ever want to admit, are pretty trapped in a system. I don't, I, I, some seem to care about some things. Some seem to care about other things. These parties, I, I just don't see a lot of progress being made on any of the things that the government is supposed to be uh, advancing. And then the deficit, I just, this deficit spending thing. If I start thinking about it too much, it makes me crazy. I mean, I don't, know how do you, I don't know how you run your house, but the uh, national deficit now is almost $14 trillion. Do you know how much that is? Say, no, I do not. All right, $14 trillion. That's $45,000 per American. Thirteen, and, and it's going up by $4 billion per day. Overspending by $4 billion per day. That's how much we're spending that isn't coming in. and just keeps going and going. That's $13 per person. But when you consider the fact that only 47%, 47% of Americans last year paid no federal tax, zero, 47%. So that makes the 13 a 26. And then you make it into a family of four. You Just do the math yourself. Uh, every tax-paying family is, we're going into debt by about $100 a day. That's what's going on. Now, I don't know, but we don't run our family like that. We don't run our church like that, I can tell you. If we don't have the money, we don't spend it, period. End of discussion, next subject. And it's just so wrong uh, the way that all of this is playing out. I'm sure that you can see that as much as I can when I I think about that deficit. So i got to not think about it. Three words, three words I would use to describe uh, Washington. um, Arguing, uh, posturing, and campaigning. Just in an endless cycle. We campaign so we can get another term to argue so that we can head toward an election and posture like we've done a good job. Then we campaign again to argue more, to posture more. And, and uh, there are some really funny things on the Internet about this. One of them is, is they, they uh, hey, I bet you all know the answer to this question. Ready? Why did the chicken cross the road? Tell me why. Well, thank you. Thank you. To get to the other side, everyone knows that. But what they did on this website was they took politicians and they let them answer the question. George Bush said, we don't really care why the chicken crossed the road. We just want to know if the chicken is on our side of the road or not. The chicken is either with us or he's against us. There's no middle ground here. (laughs) Why did the chicken cross the road? Al Gore said, I invented the chicken. I invented the road. (laughs) Why did the chicken cross the road? Bill Clinton said, I did I did not cross the road with that chicken. (laughs) What do you mean by chicken? Could you define chicken, please? (laughs) President Obama said, chicken? He's not across the road yet. He needs more time. There's a lot more of them here. I could read them all to you. It just laughed me up. And then they go into all other people in society. The The final one that made me laugh was John Lennon. Imagine all the chickens. To me, that's not a lot different than, than what's going on in, in Washington. It's just a lot of noise, a lot of noise, a lot of noise, a lot of campaigning, a lot of arguing, a lot of posturing, which leads really to say, why is it like that? Why is the system broken? Here's the second thing, because motives, motives are suspect. At the end of the day, you have to begin to wonder about the motives of those who perpetuate this continually. Uh, two examples in that regard I think will suffice. Uh, it was Ronald Reagan who said, quote, the most terrifying words in the English language are, quote, I'm from the U.S. government and I'm here to help you, end quote. One of the reasons why motives are suspect is because of uh, lawmakers' uh, inability, refusal, uh, whatever, to uh, pass uh, campaign finance reform. Why don't they pass campaign finance reform? Why? Because they don't want to. All right, because we've got a, a situation in our society today where people can get elected by paying for it. You never saw this 50 or 100 years ago, where a guy was a millionaire or a billionaire. He said, "I got enough money, extra money. I got to spend it for something. Of course, it's got to be spent for me. So I'll go spend it, and I'll get myself in an office. And people buy their way into office. And the only people can fix this problem are the people who don't want to fix it because it will hurt them. That's a problem. That's not government." Uh, by the people, for the people. And uh, another example would be what is referred to as tort reform. How many people know what tort reform is? All right? Uh, Tort reform is uh, the recognition that in our society, uh, uh, people, litigation crazy, insurance through the roof. Why? Because litigation crazy. Why is everyone litigation crazy? Because you can sue somebody, you can be walking along. I tripped on your sidewalk. You owe me $10,000. And that goes into the courts and lawyers are paid and judges have their dockets filled and every crazy, insane lawsuit. Hey, you're clumsy. How about that? That's the way it used to be, but now anything happens. It could be your fault. It could be anybody's fault. Into court we go. It's it's out of control. And why is it not fixed? 46% of all elected officials in Washington are lawyers. They won't pass laws that disadvantage themselves. And this is why people question their motives. Broken system, motives suspect. Suspect. Many people feel that the number one goal of those in office is to remain in office. Self preservation. Why is it like this? Here's the third thing because hearts are sinful. The problem is in the human heart. We're broken as people, and more so, obviously, without the Lord. And so, God protect us from any arrogance of thinking that apart from the Lord, we would be any different. What a wonderful, uh, refreshing thing it is when a Christian gets elected to office and, and shines a light in such a dark place. What a difficult thing to do. People are selfish because people are sinful. And uh, unrighteousness is the rule of the day in human government. An example of this uh, would be, um, this. this was just... Incredible to me, but I think it reflects reality. Here's a letter that was written to the Honorable Secretary of the Agriculture. Dear sir, my friend Dan over at Honey Creek, Iowa, received a check for $1,000 from the government for not raising hogs. So I want to go into the not raising hogs business next year. What I want to know is, in your opinion, what is the best kind of farm hogs not to raise, and on what is the best breed of hogs, and what is the best kind of farm not to raise them on. As I see it, the hardest part of not raising hogs uh, is keeping an accurate inventory of how many I haven't raised. My friend is very joyful about the future of his business. He's been raising hogs for 20 years or so, and this is the best year he's ever had. Before his best year was $422, but this year he got $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs. Now, if I get $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs, then I would get 2000 for not raising 100. I plan to operate on a small scale at first, holding myself to about 4,000 hogs not raised this first year, which would bring in about $80,000. Then I can buy an airplane. Now another thing, these hogs I will not be raising. Uh, they're going to eat hundred. They're going to not eat hundred thousand bushels of corn. I understand the government also pays people not to raise corn. Would I qualify for payments for not raising crops to not feed the hogs? I won't be raising. It's like <laughs> <laughs> everyone say it's broken. It's the human government. It's a broken system. Motives are suspect. Hearts are sinful. Unrighteous governance. For sure, unrighteous governance. 61% of Americans were against healthcare reform. And what did they pass? Unrighteous government by unrighteous rulers with unrighteous motives. Ready for some good news? All right. It's depressing. Who's going to fix it? That's what's being talked about in Isaiah 9 6 when it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder, all right? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon, the word government there is misrah. It's used only here, uh, twice in this passage by Isaiah. It's related to the word sar, from which we get uh, prince, and uh, it's, it's the idea of where the prince resides. The place and position of authority, the rulership will rest upon his shoulders. In these chapters, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9, King Ahaz was looking to Assyria to save him from Syria and the northern kingdom. Isaiah's message was this. Trust God, not human government. Trust God, not human government. Now, a couple of questions here. Where are the people now who trusted Obama? Where are the people who shouted from the rooftop, he's the answer, he's the answer? Where where are those people now and furthermore were the people who said the same thing about George Bush. I remember when he was elected there were people that I heard say, God's man is in the White House, shame on them. God's man is at the Father's right hand, all right. The government someday will be upon his shoulders. Nobody else is God's answer to the problem of human government, no matter how gifted uh, they may be. Proverbs thirteen thirty four says that righteousness exalts a nation. Right, Righteousness exalts a nation, not legislation. I hope you understand, we did spend, listen to me, we did spend two decades on that point. That legislation does not exalt a nation. In the 70's and the early 80's a growing concern uh, arose among conservative Christians about the direction of American culture. They began to look for ways to have a direct impact, Christians, to have a direct impact on culture through the political process. In 1979, a group of conservative evangelicals and other religious leaders founded the Moral Majority, a political lobby group. Jerry Falwell was the public face of the group through the 80s, and their stated aim was, quote, to reverse the politic I can never say that right. Politicization. To reverse that... Uh, in terms of how the political process was empowering our society to become more immoral. They were making laws that promoted immorality. They wanted to reverse that. This was clearly stated by Paul Wyrick in a 1980 meeting of of Dallas pastors where he said, quote, we are talking about Christianizing America. We are talking about simply spreading the gospel through a political context. Falwell used to say, get them saved, get them baptized, and get them registered to vote. And they they thought they could change America through the political process. Of course, uh, Tim LaHaye's Coalition for Traditional Values, James Dobson's Family Research Council, they were raising countless millions of dollars to change our society through the political process. How did that go? In 1990, uh, as the tensions between them all mounted, the moral majority dissolved at the end of the 80s. In 1994, a resurgent Christian coalition led by Pat Roberts and Ralph Reed uh, helped the Republican Party gain control of Congress during uh, Clinton's first term. Um, A lot more could be said about this, but the whole thing basically collapsed, and here's the biggest problem of it. A May 2010 Gallup poll just studying the impact of all of this on America. More Americans than ever before say uh, abortion is morally acceptable. More Americans than ever before say sex before marriage is morally acceptable. More Americans than ever before say divorce is acceptable. Gay relations, more than ever, more than ever. The only thing that's gone down is this. Less Americans than ever before think that uh, Christian leaders should be involved in the political process. So there's the outcome of two decades of that as pastors and Christian leaders set down their Bible, set down the pro- proclamation of the gospel and thought that they could legislate, again, Proverbs 13, uh, 34, righteousness exalts a nation. People come to Christ, not societies. Hearts have to change. Laws can't make that happen. And uh, so who's going to fix it? Jesus Christ is. To understand Isaiah 9:6, you ought to have to understand how prophecy works in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born, Isaiah the prophet was given a vision of the future. And as he looked off into the future, he saw, you can see it right there in Isaiah 96 he saw the first and the second at, see, they thought it was all going to come at once. They thought Jesus was going to come, save the people, become a king. They thought it was all going to happen at one time. And just like us standing in a distance and looking at a mountainscape, we see the peaks, but we don't realize the separation in between them. As history unfolded and we got closer, we found that, what does the Scripture say, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, that's the first advent of Christ, but now as we get closer, there's this big period of time, now 2,000 years already, between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ when he'll come back not as a Savior but as a King. And that's why you see here in uh, Isaiah 9, 6, you see both the first mountain peak and the second one. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, last week, the first advent, and now this problem, this is yet future. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That was not in the first time. The baby didn't bring that. The cross didn't bring that. That's yet future. That there's a day coming when the government will be upon his, notice his shoulder. We use that term frequently to talk about someone carrying weight. We uh, say to someone who should be working a little harder, hey, can you put your shoulder into that? And if we're especially burdened, we can put my head on your shoulder. We might say to somebody, I don't think that they can shoulder that. We, We know that it's a picture of the ability to carry weight, and that's why this message was titled, He Can Carry Us All. What's being prescribed here is a day when Jesus Christ is going to return and all of the weight of the failures of human society will be on his shoulder. No problem. He will be able to carry it all. He will be a- and this is the awesome thing. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ through faith in him, uh, that's your future. You're already a citizen of that kingdom. And you have that to look forward to that someday you're going to be part of the righteous reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. Want to hear a little bit about that? Just turn the page, ask this question, what will it be like? What will this this future kingdom be like? Well, part of hoping in something is clarity about what's coming. And uh, Christ's kingdom is not vague or misty or some Shangri-La uncertainty in the future. The Bible is clearly stated, wonderfully described, truly promised. It's a future reality. Here's four characteristics of it right from from Isaiah 9, 7. Notice, first of all, it's a kingdom of permanence. A kingdom of permanence. Of the increase of his government, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Of the increase. So, hey, check this, no more voting. How's that sound? No more going to the ballot box, no more lesser of two evils, no more I really don't know, I don't like either of these people, just more of the same, I've got my hopes on this before, I'm always disappointed. No more, All right. The longer Jesus Christ rules this earth, the more we will want him to. Uh, politicians should gain influence by integrity and fidelity and by democracy. Instead, they gain their influence by power brokering and money laundering and influence peddling. When Christ returns, uh, he's going to vanquish all of his enemies, establish perfect peace, and as I said, the more he rules, the more we will want him to. Think of it. No more elections, no more campaigns, no more dashed hopes. Notice in the text here, notice where it says, from this time forth and forevermore. Say, uh, One king forever. Say that. One king forever. Come on, lift up your voice. Say it. One king forever. How great will that be? One king forever incredible. So much to look forward to. A kingdom of permanence. Now secondly, a kingdom of promise. A kingdom of promise. Notice it says in the text, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. On the throne of David. So often I think when, look up here for a sec, I think so often when we study the Bible, even this month, we drill down on one passage of scripture. But we, which is good, we need to do that. But sometimes we just need to see the whole of God's word, and that's a great statement on the throne of David. Do you, do you understand what a big deal that is? This is, this is? this is the idea that God, I mean, to the letter, keeps his promises, for, I mean, through the whole Bible. The first promise of a Messiah is Genesis 3.15. It's called the protevangelium. It's the first time where God said, someone's going to be born uh, to a woman, uh, and, uh, and Satan will uh, bruise uh, his heel, but he will crush his head someday, Genesis 3.15. That's the first promise. And then God says to Abraham, a Messiah is coming, and to Isaac, a Messiah is coming. And then to Jacob, he says, he's going to be from one of your 12 sons. He's going to be from your son Judah. And he promises. The promise gets more specific. And then as the centuries unfold, a uh, David is born from the tribe of Judah. And then God promises David in 2 Samuel 7, your throne shall be established forever. Read Psalm 89 and look at the promises that God made to David about how the Messiah. Would come from his line, and that someday he would reign uh, uninterrupted over the, uh, the world uh, forever. And and uh, Luke one twenty three, or pardon me, Luke one thirty two. Look, check out this verse. Speaking of the birth of Christ in his first advent, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne. See, this is all future. He was born, but this was still future. Will give to him the throne of his father. What's it say? David, a descendant of David, just as it was promised, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, here we are at Christmas. And I just want you to hear this, okay? God keeps his promises. You need to know that. Every single thing that's written in the Bible, God knows what he said, he knows what he promised, and it's coming. And some of you, I'm sure, as you're thinking about Christmas this year, some of you are facing a problem that you're not sure how you're going to handle it. All right? And God's made some promises to you about that. And look at those things are going to come true. To the letter, they're going to come true. And some of you, we get together with family at Christmas, and I know many families have prodigals. Uh, Family members, they're not with the Lord. They wouldn't want to be in a service like this. Or if they were, it would be very agitating to them. And you're going to be with them over Christmas. And you're going to spend time with them. And you're going to feel that pressure. And I want you to have in your heart faith in God's promise that it's not always going to be that way. And that God's going to turn that situation around for his glory and for their good. And you're waiting on God. And trust. some of you really need a, a prosperity. You've been struggling financially. Next year can't be like this year. You're not sure exactly what you're going to do or where you're going to go with things. All right? But God's promises can be trusted. Absolutely trusted to the letter. Okay? And, and uh, because when he says, on the throne of David. That is exactly what happened. It waited for hundreds and hundreds of years, but then it happened exactly as God had said. Of the increase of his government, and his peace, there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. A kingdom of permanence, a kingdom of promise. And then check this, I love this, a kingdom of perfection. Notice it says... With justice and with righteousness. I mean, how great will it be to live uh, in Christ's kingdom with perfect justice? How great will it be to live in Christ's kingdom with perfect justice? Perfect justice on the earth all the time, unceasing. I wrote it down this way. The right will be established and upheld always and immediately. The wrong will be punished and eliminated always and immediately. Righteousness. The word of God, the way of God, the heart of God, overflowing from every citizen of this kingdom forever. A perfect kingdom. And we will be God's perfect people in that kingdom. Jonathan Edwards said this, to pretend to describe the excellence of the greatness of the duration of the happiness that will be in his kingdom even by the most artful composition of words would be to darken and cloud it, to talk of raptures and ecstasies and joy and singing is to actually set it very low that I am not able today, nor is any of the most eloquent people able to describe for your ears the awesome, satisfying, abundant, eternal perfection that waits for us when the government shall be upon his shoulders." a kingdom of perfection, and lastly, a kingdom of power, a kingdom of power. Some people say, but what if this doesn't happen? You know, my mom made some promises to me and she didn't do them, and my sister made some promises to me, and, 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 and these people have always told me, and my employer said, how many people have had some promises broken to them? And I think we labor under that when I stand up to tell you God has promised, and you think it means, well, you know, that's got a good chance. And that's not the way it is with God's promises at all. Notice how he describes it, because if anyone would be saying by the end of verse 7, well, how do I know this is really going to happen? Here's your answer. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <laughs> that's an awesome statement. Notice it's, what, what is it? What characteristic of God is going to bring this about? Tell me. His what? Zeal. Lift up your voice. How, what's going to make this happen? His zeal. His zeal. Notice. Uh, Not because of his ability. He's not saying God will bring this kingdom because he can, though he can and he will. It doesn't say because of his ability. It doesn't say uh, because of his integrity. Because he's promised it, though he has promised it, and he will keep his promises. It's not God's ability that's going to bring this about in the end. And it's not God's integrity that's going to bring this about in the end. Listen, it's his passion that's going to bring it about. God wants this to happen. Do you think that, that the, the minor disappointments that we feel about human government and the injustice in society, how do you think those compare to how God feels about it? All right? Don't you think God himself is longing for the day when he'll sweep away all the hypocrisy and the darkness and the failure and the injustice of human government and bring his righteous king to bear upon this earth so that everything will be eternally as it was intended to be? Oh, trust me, the zeal of the Lord will do this. God's passion for things to be as he created them to be will bring it about. How many times, how many Countless trillions of times have people through the centuries prayed the Lord's Prayer and said these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times has God heard that prayer? From how many people and how many languages and how many corners of this globe? Let's say that part together. Say it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's say it again, say it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, it's not wrong to long for that kingdom. That's what this phrase in Isaiah 9-6 about. That there's something deep inside the human heart that sees and senses and knows that things are not as they were supposed to be. And the greatest Christmas verse in the Bible has in it God's promise that it won't always be that way. And all that stands between you and then is just some time. If you're members of God's family through faith in Jesus, you're already citizens in this kingdom. And someday we will be here on this earth. And I'm going to come up to you and say, I told you this was flat out coming. Is this great or what? Now the government's going to be upon his shoulders. This is going to be sweet. Forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, yes. Your kingdom come. Yes, Lord, yes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Cause it to be so eternally so. and Cause our hearts to focus. Lift our eyes from what we see and what grieves us. and Cause us when we feel that just to be reminded that it will not always be so. When we see you, when we reflect upon who you are, when we think about you, Lord, our hearts are stirred with joy and gratitude for all that is ours as your children. Stir our faith
0: in that reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.